Portland Computer Services presents the Baseball Lifer Podcast. Well, hi there. Don Wardlow here, your Baseball Lifer. Hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving, and we're recording this on Black Friday, the 24th of November, and we're going to do something different today. We'll have a guest later in the show. Bob Gonzalez is his name. The book is A Flicker in the Water, and before we get to Bob and his story and his book... We're going to talk about a group of men, one of whom is going to be enshrined in Cooperstown. They are the nominees for the Ford Frick Award. That's the award for excellence in baseball broadcasting. And the guys who have been on the ballot for this year, and may I add the Ballots, which will be chosen for the next two years, 2025 and 2026, will all be local and national broadcasters who have worked in our own time. It won't be until 2027 that any of the older broadcasters like Hal Totten or Ty Tyson or Ned Martin will be eligible again. I'm going to go over the 10 men who are on this year's ballot. One of them will be named on December 6th and be enshrined in Cooperstown on July 20th. Along with talking about these 10 men, in a few cases, I'm going to present some highlights from their broadcasting careers. In some cases, those aren't available. But where they were, I brought you something which I will share. So the first name on the list is the Mets' own Gary Cohen. And Gary went to Columbia University. I was just a few years too late discovering Columbia's radio station, WKCR, to hear Gary on there. But by then he was already gone and he joined the Mets, he's been with them for 35 years. Most of that time, he's done TV along with Keith Hernandez. But back in the day, working with Bob Murphy, Gary Cohen did his share of radio for the Mets. Your highlight for Gary Cohen from 1999, the National League Division Series, Game 4, 10th inning, tie game, Mets at Shea against the Arizona Diamondbacks. And the hitter is Todd Pratt. So Ventura hoping to win the game with one swing. Flies out to right on the first pitch of the 10th. And now Todd Pratt will be the batter. Pratt has gone 0 for 4 in this game. 0 for 7 in the series. Subbing for the injured Mike Piazza. With Piazza unavailable because of the thumb injury, the Mets have one player left on the bench. And that is Bobby Bonilla. The outfield a couple of strides to right against Pratt. Manti's 1-0. And a high fly ball deep to center field. Back goes Finley going back. Warning track at the wall. Jumping. And it's out of here. It's out of here. Pratt hit it over the fence. 
Holy jumped and he missed it. The Mets win the ball game. The Mets win the ball game on a home run over the center field fence by Todd Pratt. The Mets have won the series three games to one. Todd Pratt hit it over the center field fence. Finley made a leap. Pratt didn't know. Pratt was standing between first and second. Then he saw Finley downcast and he knew the ball was over the fence. The Mets win it and they're bobbing Todd Pratt at home plate. An amazing finish here at Shea. Todd Pratt subbing for the injured Mike Piazza. Homers over the center field fence in the bottom of the 10th inning. And the Mets have won the game 4-3. to three. They've won the series three games to one. And it's Bedlam here at Shea as the fireworks fly. Gary Cohen described that play, that walk-off home run. The Mets went on to lose to the Atlanta Braves four games to two in the league championship series, but they'd be in the World Series the next year, in the year 2000. Now, the next man on the ballot is Joe Buck. Now, everything Joe Buck has done has been on television. He was with Fox for 26 years and spent 17 of those split with the St. Louis Cardinals as well as Fox. But very little, if any, of his material was on radio. And if there is any, I don't don't have it. I don't have it to share with you. Now, I do have two sounds for the next guy, Joe Castiglione. He's been broadcasting the Boston Red Sox since 1980. He's covered the 86 World Series, 2004, 2007, and 2013. Now, we're going to play two sounds of Joe Castiglione. The first one, from the 1986 World Series, it's Game 6. The Shea Stadium again, top half of the 10th, a tie game, 3-3. Three to three. And Dave Henderson, who had hit a home run in the American League playoff against the Angels, is up to the plate against the Mets. Dave Henderson at the plate. One for four. Slide to left, slide to center ground of a short and single off the body of the shortstop his last trip. Rick Aguilera. Aguilera, the fourth Mets pitcher, a right-hander. Here's the windup. The 0-1 swung on. There's a five ball deep left field. Way back it goes. And it is gone, a home run! Deja vu! Dave Henderson strikes again! The Red Sox have taken a 4-3 lead on Dave Henderson's home run leading off the 10. When it went to the bottom half of inning number 10, with the Red Sox ahead 5-3, and ahead in the series 3 games to 2, looking like... Boston might win the World Series. Jokes Castiglione deferred to his elder, Ken Coleman, who'd been broadcasting Red Sox games forever. And Coleman, in fact, broadcast the moment when Bill Buckner couldn't feel the ground ball hit by Mookie Wilson, ending the game with the Mets winning it 6-5. to five tying the World Series and ultimately winning the World Series two nights later. That's just one of the two Joe Castiglione sounds that I have for you. The second 
sound we're going to hear from Joe Castiglione happened 17 years later. It happened in 2003. It's game seven of the American League Championship Series. Yankee Stadium is the scene set. The game again is tied 5-5. It's the bottom half of inning number 11. And the knuckleballer, Tim Wakefield for the Red Sox, is facing Aaron Boone of the Yankees. Again, Joe Castiglione has the mic. Aaron Boone batting for the first time tonight. He has been quiet in the series. Boone two for 16, one RBI. I think he's got it from Cincinnati in midseason. Five runs on Evan Hicks, no errors for the Red Sox. Five runs, ten hits, one error for the Yankees. Boone against Wakefield. Bill Miller almost on the bag at third. Miller a lot wide of the line at first. The pitch. Swinging a long drive to left. Down the line. Deep toward the corner. If it's fair, it's gone. And it is gone. A home run. The New York Yankees have won the pennant. Aaron Boone with a home run on the first pitch of the last of the 11th inning. And the hands of fate have dealt New England baseball fans another very cruel and unbelievable ending. The New York Yankees beat the Red Sox 6-5 on Aaron Boone's home run. Deep into the left field seats. Next year, it would be the Red Sox turn in 2004. And Joe Castiglione would call the first of three World Series that the Red Sox would win. And now he's on this year's ballot for the Ford C. Frick Award. And one thing I might say is, did you notice the difference in the sound quality between the 1986 World Series with Joe Castiglione and the 2003 American League Championship Series? It's a tremendous difference. The sound is so much better. It's just hard to believe. We're on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Don Wardlow here. Later on, our guest, Bob Gonzalez, will talk about his book, A Flicker in the Water, and about his baseball playing days on the college level. Before that, we're going over the ballot for the Ford Frick Award for baseball broadcasting excellence. One of these men will be enshrined in Cooperstown. We've gone over the first three, Gary Cohen, Joe Buck, and Joe Castiglione. The next one, we don't have anything of his. His name is Jacques Doucet. He's been on the ballot several times. He's never won. He broadcast the Expos for 33 years in French. And then in 2012, he came back for one year doing the Toronto Blue Jays games in French. From Jacques Doucet, nothing is available to work with. The next man that I can share some sound is Tom Hamilton, the Indians broadcaster since 1989, and my favorite on this ballot. I would love to see him win. And he's still broadcasting today, and he sounds as terrific now as he did the first time I heard him, which was in 1993. 
I was broadcasting for New Britain and we went to Canton and Canton is only about 50 miles from Cleveland. So we were able to hear the Cleveland Indians. And that was the first time I ever heard Tom Hamilton. What you're going to hear is a broadcast from June 19th, 2014. The Indians are behind three to one. It's the bottom of the 10th. They're facing the Angels. The bases are loaded. And Nick Swisher is at home plate. So the last hope for the Indians is Nick Swisher. Three strikeouts and a flyout. He'll bat left-handed. Born at third. Kipnis at second. Santana at first. Two down. Three to one. The Angels lead it. The Angels go into the overshift one more time. Three on the right side of the infield. Frieri with John McDonald playing shortstop as a third baseman. Looks around his defense. The other three infielders are on the right side. He's one strike away from bailing out the Angels here in the 10th. Here it comes. A swing and a long drive! Deep right! This ball! Oh! A walk-off grand slam for Nick Swisher! He is about to get mobbed! The first grand slam of the year for the Indians! Oh, what a finish! Tom Hamilton for the Cleveland Indians, and he's still broadcasting today, and he's on the ballot this year. The winner's name will be announced on December 6th, and the next podcast I do after that, I will tell you who he is and play, hopefully, some more sound from the man who wins. We've mentioned five of the ten men on the list. Number six is Ernie Johnson Sr., He played for the Boston and Milwaukee Braves from 1950 to 1958. Then he became a broadcaster, first in Milwaukee and then in Atlanta. He broadcast for the Braves from 1962 to 1991 and then for five more years from 1995 through 1999. Mostly, again, he did television on TBS. That was in the 80s and early 90s. But what you're going to hear, Milo Hamilton had called Henry Aaron hitting his 715th home run. Milo is already in the Hall of Fame. You'll hear a few words from him. Then he introduces Ernie Johnson and lets Ernie have a few words to say about Henry Aaron. The greatest record in sports has been broken. And so, as this crowd starts to settle down a bit now, to the man who saw him come up, played with him, and who has broadcast several of his home runs, got to be a little butterfly or two in the Big E's tummy right now. Butterflies and tears in the eyes. This is going to be the greatest moment for anyone to witness in this great game of baseball. It's just tremendous, and... To think that here it is, national television, standing room only crowd, and Hank Aaron more or less saying, boys, I'm going to do it tonight. He's done it. 
And uh, you would think he wouldn't do it tonight. But so many people, I'm sure, feeling the same way. Will he do it? But how can he do it with all this pressure? And he hits it over the left center field wall. It's just the greatest thing that I've ever witnessed. And uh, as I said at the top of the show, I feel so happy for Mr. and Mrs. Herbert Aaron Sr. They have got to be the proudest parents. They've got a wonderful family. And they have a son that has brought so much acclaim, not only the game of baseball, but just so much to himself, his family, and, well, I just wish that Henry Aaron could stand out there and talk to every one of the people here because I think he would like to shake everyone's hand for being here tonight, and uh, the applause has been deafening. Ernie Johnson of the Atlanta Braves from the days when they were still on 750 WSB, which stood for Welcome South, brother. I only have a highlight for one of the four who are still left on the ballot, and then that is Ken Korak. And Ken has been in baseball broadcasting for 32 years, four with the White Sox and 28 with the Oakland A's, the last 18 of those. He was their number one announcer, and he's still doing it today. What you're about to hear is from May 9th, 2010, and it's the end of Dallas Braden pitching a perfect game for the Oakland A's. Ken Korak is at the mic. Two outs, ninth inning, and Braden is one out away. Kapler coming up, and Kapler gave Braden the best battle this afternoon by far. And the 2-1 pitch is outside a close pitch, a fastball. Now it's 3-1. Three, three balls and one strike to Gabe Kapler. Two out, nobody on, ninth inning. Bartlett's on deck, and Braden turns. He throws, and it's swung on a ground ball to short. Taken there, Pennington's got it. He throws a perfect game! Dallas Braden has thrown a perfect game! The A's have beaten Tampa Bay four to nothing. The kid from Stockton has done it for the A's. Ken Korak describing the end of Dallas Braden's perfect game in 2010, and just this year, 2023, working on television, Dallas Braden would become the first man to not only throw a perfect game but to call a perfect game. Domingo Herman of the Yankees threw a perfect game at the Oakland A's, and behind the mic, one of several, was Dallas Braden. And you heard Ken Korak describing the end of Dallas Braden's perfect game. And the last three guys on the list all did television. As a result, I don't have anything of theirs to work with. Two of them worked together, Mike Fruko and Dwayne Kuyper. They both work on the San Francisco Giants television broadcasts. And the other is Dan Schulman. And Dan did Toronto Blue Jays radio from 1995 to 2001. He did ESPN radio from 2002 to 2010. I've been unable to find any of those radio broadcasts that he did. Dan Schulman, the last guy on the ballot 
for the Ford Frick Award. The winner will be named on December 6th. And the next podcast I do after that, you'll hear who the winner is. He will be enshrined in Cooperstown on July 20th. When we come back, we'll have our guest, author Bob Gonzalez, the book, A Flicker in the Water. You'll hear from Bob if you keep it right where it is. I am having such a problem at work. This is the second time this month I have had two computers down and I can't get my computer company to come to the office and fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when the computers are not working properly. I need somebody that can come out, see what's wrong, and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They have been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an a rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at courtlandcomputerservices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860. Courtlandcomputerservices.com. Tell them you heard about it on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of computer services. Back on the Baseball Lifer podcast, Don Wardlow here, and our guest is Bob Gonzalez. And before we get into what you do and what you are working on and what you have done, first and foremost, Bob, welcome to the program. Hi, Don. How are you? I'm glad. Pleasure to be here. Well, thank you. Um. I'm a guy who's been a college baseball fan as well as a professional baseball fan. You know, I nah. just I discovered college baseball in the late 70s as a high school student and I suddenly got the idea I could broadcast this game and you played some college baseball in the Northeast in that time frame. So tell me a little bit about your college baseball career. Well, I played college baseball in Pennsylvania uh, at East Stroudsburg University in the uh, mid-1980s. Um, it was Division Two at that time. I'm not sure where they are today. But uh, one of the biggest things that surprised me was how the talent level increased so much from high school to college ball. It was incredible. And the um, the speed of the way the ball moved and the just the – the power of some of the hitters was just unreal. Like you didn't see that in high school, even from the best players. Usually, um, it was just an amazing experience, and I'm glad I got to do it. And that's when they used the earlier aluminum bats that were the real rocket launchers. Yeah, yeah, they used aluminum bats back then. Uh, I don't know if they still do that, dude. And uh, maybe you might know, but, uh, but yeah, we used aluminum bats, and uh, they used to really launch the ball. That's for sure. And that's where I learned to broadcast baseball at college at Glassboro State, which is now Rowan University. 
We had one Division Two game on our schedule every year. We would face Westchester, which was coached by Neil Serpico, who was a legend at that time. Mm-hmm. Was, okay. Was Westchester on Strasburg's schedule? We uh, went to play games down there once in a while. I don't recall that name, though. Um, I remember going to Upper Dublin, uh, PA, Chambersburg. I don't know if we went to Westchester. We might have. I'm not sure. That was a long time ago. <laughs> we played one Division One game every year, and that was against Temple, coached by Skip Wilson, another legend in the Philadelphia area. Oh, okay, yeah. Now, Temple really surprised me about eight years ago when they canceled their baseball program. I don't, I can't imagine a school in a major city, especially a major school like Temple, canceling baseball. I was stunned. I'm stunned by you telling me that. Yeah, I never, I didn't know that. That's very surprising. Yeah. Now, Bob Gonzalez, my guest on the program, the book is called A Flicker in the Water Inside the Tales. And what yeah. Bob Gonzalez does, he's the owner of the sport fish boat, the Twister. Now, you might well ask, why do I have Bob Gonzalez on the baseball lifer? Well, there's a very good reason. I've hardly talked to one baseball player who didn't say his favorite hobby was fishing. <laughs> Ted well, yeah. Ted Williams was known not not just for baseball, but he was known for his sport fishing that he did most winters. And then he basically retired to a life of sport fishing after managing the Texas Rangers. That's right. Um, I just saw a picture yesterday on the Internet of Kevin Kiermaier, too. Uh, He had a couple of carpet looked like that he had just fished for. So how did you go from college baseball player to owner of the Sportfish Twister? How did that come about? Well, you know, we used to travel for spring training down to Florida every year uh, around March. Um, And we, you know, we would drive down from Pennsylvania and we'd play down here. And uh, then you'd go back, you know, we would play here like in the little Yankee Stadium and places like that. And then you'd go back up in 70 degrees and then you'd go back up north and it'd be 45 or 50. Yeah. (laughs) And the you know the ball didn't travel the same way or anything. So don't I know I it? Yeah, I know. I said, you know what? When this is over, I'm going to Florida. So uh, once that was over, I came down to Florida, and I'm I stayed here full time. I uh, chose an area in the northern um, northern area of Florida in the Panhandle called Destin, and um, I didn't know this at the time, but Destin was uh, – I didn't even know where Destin was because we used to go, like, to Port St. Lucie and places like that, which is on the East Coast. Sure. But Destin is between Panama City and Pensacola, and it's known as the world's luckiest fishing village. So I drove out here one time just on a whim uh, because uh, I don't know if you – you know the soft pretzels. They're very popular up there in Pennsylvania. Absolutely. They, yeah. At that time, that concept was just starting, and the guy – starting a franchise was from valley forge so uh he said there's a there's a mall available up there in the panhandle i don't know if you want to go all the way out there but i did you know and when i got here i loved it it was beautiful it was one of the nicest areas i had seen in florida and uh i decided to stay here and then i didn't know it was a fishing village so I, i started fishing all the time which i always enjoyed even as a kid i used to love to fish and um after about 15 years of uh 
of fishing. I decided to write a book about my experiences, and uh, I had a blast doing it. Now, tell me some something that's in the book that stands out that might interest our fans in reading this book. Well, um, <laughs> some of the fishes that we caught, I actually gave one fish a nickname. I called him Marble Eye because Marble Eye was in a 110-pound amberjack that he had been swimming around in the Gulf for years because he was an old fish. You could tell he had wrinkly skin. And uh, when he came up, he, he had no pupils. So he was blind in one eye. And um, I decided to name him Marble Eye because he, his eye looked like a marble. And uh, I have a picture of that fish on the boat right hanging from the deck of the boat. And it's uh, an incredible picture. It's a 110-pound amberjack. And that's a really big one. You don't get them that size very often. When did you move down to Florida to begin your fishing fishing life 1993 you moved down there the year that the florida marlins came to miami there had been no major league ball in florida until then that's right uh i still remember that yeah um i remember those first world series uh games that they played too and I, that's where miguel Cabrera actually broke in was with the marlins you know it his he's yeah. this was his final year but in ninety in in oh three, his first year, hard to believe that's twenty years ago. He hit a home yeah. run. He hit a home run in that World Series off of Roger Clemens. Okay, wow, yeah. I kind of remember that. Um, but he's been a good hitter all his life, even from the time he first came up. He made his name name known. <laughs> Here's Clemens into his windup, the three and two pitch. Swinging a looping liner over the head of the second baseman Soriano into right field at the base hit. So Rodriguez on the eighth pitch of the battle with Clemens gets the base hit. So here is Miguel Cabrera now. Cabrera, two hits and 11 at bats in the World Series. Clemens was 17 and 9 during his final season of the big leagues. And the pitch to a fastball right past the eyes of Cabrera and then he shot an angry glance out toward Clemens. Uh, this one is well off the plate. I mean it's way up and in. This, this one wasn't over near the plate. So that's the 41 year old Roger Clemens pitching to the 20 year old Cabrera as if to say hi I'm Roger Clemens nice to meet you. And sometimes people react different ways to a pitch that knocks you down or is up and in. Some guys get mad and over swing some guys get timid two and two the count the pitch swing at a high drive to right field going way back is Garcia to the wall it's a home run and some react by hitting one out of the yard the 20 year old Miguel Cabrera in his first at bat against the 41 year old future Hall of Famer takes him deep to the opposite field a two run homer for Cabrera and the Marlins lead two nothing Five years after the Florida Marlins came to Miami, the Tampa Bay Devil Rays came in. I know they're not called the Devil Rays anymore, but the mm -hmm. name, and you probably know this even better than me, the name Devil Rays doesn't have anything to do with the devil. It's some kind of a fishing reference. It's a ray. There's an actual ray, a Mobula Rays, they call them. They're actually called Devil Rays as well. 
I became a Rays fan when I moved down here. Joe Madden, uh, who used to manage the Rays, was from Hazleton, Pennsylvania, which was only like a half an hour drive from where I grew up. And uh, when Joe got the uh, the job to manage the Rays, I became I was a Pirates fan, you know, back in Pennsylvania growing up. But when I came to Tampa and Joe got the job, I became a Rays fan. And I've been a fan ever since. On the Baseball Lifer podcast with Bob Gonzalez. Three years ago, 2020, the year that they only had half a season because of the pandemic, the Rays made the World Series that year against the L.A. Dodgers. Do you know if the stadium they played in that year had a roof on it? They played all their games in Arlington that year. They didn't uh, have a home and away thing because that was the COVID year. Right. Did so, that stadium have a roof in Arlington? Oh, in Arlington? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, that's where the Texas Rangers play. I'm not sure to tell you the truth. That's since, a good question. Yeah. Since, since then, they've opened a different stadium, and the one they play in now absolutely has a roof on it. And yeah. this, this, this World Series proved to be the first all-indoor World Series. The Arizona Diamondbacks against the Texas Rangers. Mm-hmm. Now, one question for the Rays. What do you think has been uh, the the biggest problem with them drawing fans? You think, especially in a playoff year, the place would be packed. They only had 19,000 in their first game against the Rangers. I think one of the biggest reasons, well, there's two reasons. The one reason is where the stadium is located. It's a long way away from the main area of Tampa. It's in St. Petersburg. And where the heavier populations are are in northern Tampa or, or central Tampa, which on a weeknight is a good 45-minute or an hour drive all the way down to St. Petersburg. And it, unlike some of the major cities, there's not a lot of public transportation to get you there. There's not a lot of subways or a lot of public buses that go all the way down there from those far areas. So I think that's one of the main reasons. Their TV uh, viewership is really good. Um, they've always, you know, had a good TV viewership. I think the second reason, and maybe even the more important reason, is that the um, uh, a lot of the major league teams, I think like a third or two-thirds of their uh, t- season ticket holders are um, corporate you know, corporate buys a bunch of tickets and they, uh, you know, they get their, their business people to the, go to the games. Um, the Rays have like a third um, of less corporate sales than other teams. I think that might have something to do with it too. But I do know who goes there a lot is Dick Vitale. He's a big uh, promoter of the Rays and uh, Dickie V is always seen at those games. Yeah, talk about a famous voice. He certainly got one. And, you yeah. know, the the talk is there's going to be a new stadium, but the further talk is that's still going to be in St. Pete. Is the new stadium going to help if it's in St. Pete? I know. You know, I'm a little uh, – I thought it was going to be in Tampa. There's been talk of moving it to Tampa right near where uh, the cruise ships are in a place called Channel Side, and uh, right in the heart of Tampa there where the Tampa Bay Lightning play. So I had wished it had gone there, but – um Maybe a new modern stadium, too, might help. Um, we'll see. I don't know. I, I wish it had been in Tampa, though. On the Baseball Lifer podcast with Bob Gonzalez, his book is A Flicker in the Water, Inside the Tales. 
and that's a fishing book. Now, Bob's got a work in progress, as I have, a baseball book with the working title of Those Championship Times. Would you tell me what you're looking at to put in that book and what you're hoping to show the book reading public? Well, I, I'm doing a history of all the franchises. It's um, a brief history. It's not very in-depth, but I cover pretty much everything that's happened with uh, all the baseball franchises from their inception. Uh, I talk about the you know, the bigger clubs who've been around a long time, but also some of the newer teams, like you were saying, the Marlins and the Rays. I talk about them. Uh, <laughs> I talk about the history of that Red Sox and Yankees rivalry that I don't think since the Red Sox have won that World Series, the, the juice is there in that rivalry as much as it used to be. But back in the day, man, that, that those were fun games to watch. Um, yeah, things like that. I'll also talk about some of my own experiences in there playing the game. And, uh, you know, hopefully fans will learn something and get a few laughs out of and really enjoy it. I will say this, though, too, in my current book, there are some baseball references in there. I talked about uh, scooping a red snapper or a grouper into a net like you would uh, digging out a ball at first base in a first baseman's glove. It sounds like a good way to go about it. Yeah. Do you think the company who published uh, Flicker in the Water will go forward with those championship times when the book is done? I think so. The um, The owner, uh, Meinster Media, his name is J.J. Hebert, and he's a, uh, he's a big Red Sox fan. We, I kid him all the time about the Rays, you know, having to win that first World Series. So I'm pretty sure he'll enjoy the book. You've been watching baseball, as we all have, through the 2023 season. What do you think about the changes that have come? Do you think that they have improved the game as it is on TV or in person over the baseball we were watching, say, for the last 10 years? I do. I like it. Uh, the game needed to be uh, speeded up a little bit. Um, one thing that I, I, I don't like, though, and I guess I'm against the tide on this, is I still like to see the pitcher back. You know, uh, you know, Shohei Otani has proven that the pitchers can hit. If they really uh, work at it and practice hitting, they can hit just as good as regular hitters. So I like the, the pitcher hitting. I'm not a fan of the DH. I never have been. I think it takes away from the uh, visuals of the game. Even though there's more hitting, I think there's more strategy and more um, – I think it's actually more fun to have a little change in the game of having the pitcher bat, whether he bunts or whatever. You know, it's just I think it's a, a nice little, uh, you know, twerk in the game when the pitcher bats. Um, I do like the the, um, the pitch clocks, though, and I do like uh, only throwing over to first base twice. Um, that sort of thing. I think all those things have really helped the game. It added a lot of running. We had a guy steal 70 bases in Ronald Acuna. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if he'll threaten Ricky Henderson, but uh, yeah, <laughs> that's good for the game. Even if he doesn't, it's still a lot better game when there's more speed involved. I agree 100%, yeah. On the Baseball Lifer with Bob Gonzalez, author of A Flicker in the Water, working on those championship times. Tell me about a day in the life of the sport fish twister. Tell me how a regular day happens on your ship. Well, the one of the good things about um, fishing is that you just never know what to expect. You know, it's just like in baseball, you know, every game is different. That's like every fishing adventure is different. Sometimes you go out there and 
the sun is shining bright and the waves are calm and the fish are biting everything you throw in the water. <laughs> Other days, <laughs> you might go out there and the waves might be rough and no matter what you throw out there, you can't get a bite for anything, you know. So it's just like sports, man. You got to go out there and, you know, keep swinging away. And uh, if you swing away enough times, you'll you'll catch fish just like you'll, you know, swing away, you'll get base hits. And the new challenges are presented daily to you, and that has to add something to life. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, that's what makes it fun. You know, if you went out there every time and caught a bunch of fish, you know, the challenge would uh, would definitely be lacking. So, you know, that's it's that pursuit, you know, of always trying to catch that fish, just like the pursuit of always trying to get that hit. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, challenging and rewarding at the same time. Our guest has been Bob Gonzalez on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Bob, best of luck with those championship times. Hope that comes out and hope I get a chance to read it. Thank you, Don. Sounds good. I appreciate you having me on. Back with a word about next week's show in just a minute, if you keep it right where you got it. I'm having such a problem at work. It's the second time this month. I've got two computers down and I can't get my computer repair company to come to the office to fix them. I think they are too busy with other bigger companies to help us. You know, I was having the same problem until we met Cortland Computer Services in Middlesex, New Jersey. They respond to most of my calls the same day, either by accessing my computers remotely or by sending a technician to my office. Wow, that would be great. It is such a disruption when our Computers are not working properly. I need someone who can see what's wrong and fix it. On our first meeting, they surveyed our network for security, identified some problem areas, and set us up with security software designed to prevent malware, ransomware, and all of the other threats that are on the internet these days. They've been helping central New Jersey businesses for 30 years, and they have an a rating with the Better Business Bureau. You should contact them either on the web at CortlandComputerServices.com or by phone at 732-356-8860. 732-356-8860, CortlandComputerServices.com. Tell them you heard about them on the Baseball Lifer podcast and get a $100 coupon toward your first two hours of services. Back on the Baseball Lifer Don Wardlow here. We've had an interview with Bob Gonzalez. And before that, we talked about the men who are on this year's Ford Frick Award ballot. And that winner will be determined on December 6th. And the next podcast after that, I will let you know who won and who will be the next broadcaster enshrined in Cooperstown. Next week on the program, it'll be author, radio voiceover artist, radio playwright, Bob Brill, longtime baseball fan, loves to talk the game, and loves to talk about old-time radio, which is a favorite subject of mine. He'll be next week's guest on the Baseball Lifer podcast. Until then, this is Don Wardlow, and have a good week. (laughs) 